Monday here on the Inside the Pylon Quick Kicks podcast. Hope all of you had a phenomenal weekend watching a little bit of both NFL and college football action. Mark Schofield and I, we had a pretty full weekend. Actually, we went all the way back to uh, last Thursday. Mark digging into some of the uh, the Packers tape from then. And that's actually what we're going to be talking about today. Chuck Zada and Mark Schofield here with you on the Quick Kicks pod. And Mark, how are you today? Good weekend? Solid weekend, man. Solid weekend. Got a lot done. It was a nice little Saturday, nice little Sunday, some back-to-back shopping and stuff like that. But uh, yep. got some things done. Hey, got the blue check mark on Twitter. How yeah. about that? Hey, let's let's talk about this a little bit. How, how did this all go down, actually? How did you end up being Mr. Verified? I wish I had some sort of secret potion to share with our listeners, man, but I really don't. I um, When they announced the application process back in, what was it, June? They said people could actually apply to be verified. I did. I applied like right away and got rejected like immediately. So I was like, all right, that makes sense. You know, nobody really knows who I am and that's more than fair. But then went to bed Saturday night, woke up Sunday morning and woo, lo and behold, there's the blue check mark. So it just kind of happened. So it, it was overnight, actually. Well, no, because like I had applied back in June. But you got rejected then, but, you said. Yeah. And you haven't and applied again behold, since. Out of nowhere. I had not applied again since. Well, let me tell you, man. I, I don't I, know what it was. I, you know what it might have been, though? I was doing some Battlefield 1 tweeting on Friday because I just picked up that game. Ooh, it's fun to play. Is Maybe it really? It. I haven't, yeah, honestly, it's, it's so fun. I used to play, and this this is going to take me way back. This was, uh, we're probably talking 0304, the original Battlefield 1942. Yeah. It was one of my standbys back then honestly i just i don't find myself with enough time these days but i gotta say i've seen some of the trailers and some of the footage from battlefield one and i'm kind of getting that bug again but i just i don't know i feel like it would be a waste of money for me right now yeah i mean it's tough to find the time especially because i and you've probably seen this on the itp slack we've been talking about this game a lot there's like an operations mode where you're playing like actual battles that were fought because battlefield one is world war one so it's like all stuff that happened. And there's an operations mode where you can play on a couple of different maps, a couple of actual battles, either in the you know the Italian Alps, uh, a couple of different areas in Germany, and then there's one actually in the Suez Canal area. Those battles in that operations mode could take like an hour from really? like start to finish. Yeah. It's Over like impressive. massive scale. I mean, you know, it's it's crazy. Like you're running through the Italian Alps and there's like mountains on either side of you and there's like snipers perched everywhere. It's just and, – and it's a really well done game I think. So yeah, maybe that was the secret. I was tweeting a lot about Battlefield 1 and some Red Dead Redemption 2 late last week and maybe that was it. I don't know. But – yeah, I got the blue check. Big weekend. Big weekend. So let's let's dig in now to this Packers team. This is a team that obviously all year this year, all I've heard is, oh, the Packers need to do something different on offense. Mike McCarthy's lost it on offense. Aaron Rodgers doesn't look the same. The receivers don't look the same. And we've talked about some of these things, actually. We've talked about how the receivers have struggled to gain separation. We talked about how they, they are a little stagnant in terms of uh, some of the routes they run. We've talked about how Aaron Rodgers seems to be forcing things a little bit. What'd you write about last week first? Let's start there. Well, I mean, it, it's interesting because this is not a new topic. I'm trying to pull it up right now. But remember, we had Doug Farrar on last year on the podcast to talk about, among other things, what's going wrong with the Green Bay offense. Yeah, it was week 16. It was December of last year. 
It's like December 29th when he came on. So it was almost a year ago, like mean, 10 months or so, that we had Doug on to talk about what's going on with Green Bay. And the same issues popped up, particularly in the wake of their loss to Dallas. And in, in going through that tape um, for the Bleach Report grade and that we're, you and I are both doing, I was making my notes and I decided that, you know, as I do most weeks, I was going to highlight plays in the notes, like either red, you know, because I'm doing it on, on Excel now. I'm growing up. I'm trusting some technology. It's not all handwritten this year. So on the notes, plays designs that I liked, I would shade in green. Designs that I didn't, I would shade in red. I kind of do that anyway, but I paid more attention to it for this Green Bay game because of that reason. And my Excel spreadsheet for that game was like a sea of red. They were just play design after play design after play design that like frustrated me to no end. So I feel I felt the need to write about it. And you know, I like we say it inside the pylon, write when you're angry, and that's kind of what I did. And there was a ton of directions that I could have taken with the piece. But I went in basically two. And the first was this idea of like wasted space. There are so many route concepts that I saw. And this wasn't just in that game against Dallas, but I highlighted some of that game against Dallas. There was stuff I've seen throughout the year with Green Bay where they're just wasting the space available to them on the field, either by compressed formations and route concepts where guys are basically running the same route in the same area or just not taking advantage of the fact that the field is big and it's wide and they're not stretching the team, the defense from sideline to sideline, from line of scrimmage to deep. And, you know, two of the plays that I highlighted, the first one was actually a decent downfield completion to Randall Cobb on a dig route. But what they do, they go basically, oh, it's almost max protection. They only send three guys out into the pattern. They've got Nelson to the right, a single receiver side. He just runs a nine route. And on the backside, you've got Cobb on the outside, Adams in the slot inside them. They run matching dig routes at about 18 to 20 yards is when they make their break. They run play action off of this. And I literally timed it with two different stopwatches to make sure that one of them wasn't broken. And it's about four seconds for when Cobb, who's on the outside, from snap to when he makes his break. That's asking a ton from the offensive line to block for four seconds until the ball could theoretically come out. And even then Rogers doesn't release it right away. Those are the only three routes. They keep the tight end Richard Rogers in to protect. They fake a handoff to Eddie Lacey. He stays in to protect Dallas drops into cover two. So they've got five guys underneath and underneath the zones and two safeties over the top. So what that basically creates is a situation where you've got the five underneath defenders sinking under those dig routes, and you've got the two safeties over the top, and Rodgers really has to hold on to the football until they can find a nice enough window to make the throw. And again, full credit to the Green Bay Packers on this play. They make the completion. But when Rodgers releases the ball, okay, there's actually a still in the article where you can see from the line of scrimmage to 10 yards downfield, from sideline to sideline, there's nobody. Not a single Packers player, not a single Dallas defender. There's nothing. It's just completely wasted space. And what do I mean by wasted space? If you just release either Richard Rodgers or Lacey into an underneath curl, hypothetically speaking, either he's going to be wide open against this coverage scheme because the cover two guys are just going to drop off and give you that, in which case you've got a receiver who's open with lots of room to run, or those underneath defenders are going to collapse on that route because it's right in front of their faces. And what does that do? It enlarges the throw-in window on those two dig routes. 
but they don't do that. They waste that space. And so what it means is you're asking a lot of your receivers to get open. You're asking a lot on your offensive line to block for a long period of time. And you're asking a lot from your quarterback. Granted, they have talented players, but why make the game tougher on your offense, on your players? Give that little outlet so that if a block breaks down, Rodgers has an outlet to throw to. If that they don't collapse on that underneath route and it's still wide open, Rodgers can just take that. Like it just confounded me. So here, here's a question for you on that. We've heard so often when we talk about the great quarterbacks in the league, the the Peyton Mannings until uh, his retirement, the Tom Brady's of the world. We've heard so much about how at the line they're making adjustments. Why is Rodgers not making adjustments at the line? Because obviously he's a guy who picks up on this. He's a smart enough guy to be able to see this. Why is he not identifying it there and switching things up? I, I, that's a question. That's one of those things that you just – I. Not being in the huddle, not being in the meeting room, not being in the film. I don't know why they're not changing things like that. It might be a situation where, look, he knows he's got cover too. He knows he gets dig. He's going to get dig routes. He just trusts himself and his offensive line to the point where he knows that he can make a throw. So, like, but here's a, you know, go ahead. Go no, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Finish. No, I mean my basic other premise here because there's another sort of idea that I float out there, and part of what I do with this piece is I contrast what. You know, Green Bay's doing with Aaron Rodgers with that team they played against, the Dallas Cowboys, and what they were doing with Dak Prescott. I showed a similar, well, not exactly a similar play, but another vertical concept. You've got deeper routes. You've got two deep curl routes and a deep post route on the outside and then over the middle with Jason Witten from Dallas. But they've got two guys releasing into the one to each flat. So it, it not only spreads the field from sideline to sideline and deep to shallow, it gives the quarterback an outlet just in case things break down. So if the protection breaks down, Prescott at least has a guy in each flat to throw to. And so another area that I highlighted was protecting the target. They they did it a bunch of different times, but I highlighted two scenarios where they just split Jordy Nelson wide and had him try to win a slant route one-on-one. Both times that the clips that I showed, pass falls incomplete. Contrast that with how Dallas, for example, Cole Beasley, he's not the same type player as Jordy Nelson. He's a much shiftier guy out of the slot. But even though he's a great route runner and very shifty, they protect him. They put him in stack slots. They move him around a little bit so that, you know, particularly when he's got a stack slot and he's behind Jason Witten releasing off the line of scrimmage, they can't get a jam on him. And when you've got a shifty guy like Cole Beasley getting a free release, it makes it that much easier. So it it all boils down to, in my mind, they're just – almost making it tougher on themselves well here's a question for you as well because i almost wonder if some of this is just due to the unreal level that we've seen the green bay offense playing at in the recent past if you look if you go back through kind of that 2011 through 2014 window you saw some absolutely fantastic numbers put up by this green bay offense and you look at them today and you say okay look they're not great they're not terrible by any means I mean there's certainly not a bad offense there's definitely a number of teams that would prefer them over what they have today how much of this is just because they're not playing up to the level that we've seen them play at recently I mean that could be it I mean when you're running concepts that require guys winning one-on-one or asking your players to do I don't want to say superhuman things but to like make good plays regardless of how the route concept works out. 
Like you go back to that first play that I talked about. You're asking a lot of your line to block for at least four seconds, if not longer, given the route structure. You're asking your quarterback to either throw into a very tight window based on how the coverage is sinking, or if these guys can't get open, to freelance and make something happen. Like I think back to this summer when I did that piece on Bob Stitt's offense out at Montana and how – sort of design was, look, I want to make sure that on every single given play, I've got a route that beats man coverage and a route that beats zone coverage. That way that no matter what the defense shows me, my quarterback knows that he's got a place to go with the football. Now, that's an oversimplification. And obviously, comparing the Green Bay Packers and what they do on offense to you know, Montana and what the Grizzlies do on offense, it's not an apples-to-apples comparison. It's certainly not that. But I think that mindset and that philosophy it's just a very good one to have when you're an offensive head coach. You don't need to oversimplify the game and make it just incredibly easy for your quarterback. Everybody would love to do that. It's impossible. But if you can at least give them different outlets, different things that they can go to versus man or versus zone. And if you can, like Sid also does, I did a three-part series on this offense talking about how they stretch teams from sideline to sideline and from the line of scrimmage deep down the field. You have to be able to do that because – if you're not, if you're just wasting the space that's available to you, you're making it easier on the defense. And again, you're, it comes back to the idea of asking more from your players. When you look at uh, the evolution of this Green Bay offense, and uh, you know we had a game, they were the Thursday night game this week. You know, there, there, there was a lot of talk after that game about how much they threw the ball, and, and, and they were able to move the ball decently well uh, in a win against the Bears, what did you see when you saw them uh, throwing in this game? Anything different that suggests they're trying to change up what they're doing? There was some stuff that they did in this game that I really liked. And there were a couple of plays that I highlighted. Again, when I talked about at the outset of the show, that Excel spreadsheet, and I would highlight, you know, note cells either red for bad designs or green for good stuff there was a lot of green this week you know they had a play early in the game when they you know had three receivers to the left and they won a little dagger concept which is something that we haven't talked about a ton but they've got you know richard rogers the tight end who's the inside guy he goes vertical then the next guy is cobb who runs that sort of dig route behind it and so what that does is you know it protects the target because cobb is the guy that gets the pass thrown to him here and so that seam route by the tight end takes his defender vertically and it creates a little bit of traffic so when Cobb cuts off of that there's a little bit of traffic in the way of the defender trying to stay with him on that dig route and the outside receiver Nelson runs a little pivot route so he comes in on the slant and then breaks to the flat and so there you've got the sort of stretch from the middle of the field on that dig route and the seam route to the outside on the pivot route towards the sideline, and you've got that stretch vertically from the line of scrimmage, the short route from Nelson, and then deep on the seam route. So you had components like that. They did some nice stuff with weir routes. They even used a stack slot, like I talked about. They didn't throw to it, but they used it in the red zone, used it on the goal line. They went the other way with the football. But you could see some signs of them doing some different things in the passing game, trying to make it a little bit easier on their guys. They threw the ball a ton, but it was a lot of short stuff. And, you know, this new little wrinkle with Ty Montgomery using him as a running back out of the backfield, it's a nice little change of pace for them. Get him some more experience with that, and I think they could be effective in that kind of offense. Why do you think teams sometimes get into a situation where they're very stagnant with their offense? I mean, I, I think... You know, that's a tough question to really answer because there's a lot of different ways you could go with it. But I think generally speaking, when you've had stuff that has worked for you 
worked for a couple of years and you've got the sort of same talent running these plays, that's what they know. That's what they know best. And you go back to that stuff. You go back to the well thinking you, they're going to be able to achieve some level of success with that. But remember, the guys on the other side, they're paid too. The coaches on the other side, they're certainly paid as well. And they've been studying the tape and they know your tendencies and they know what you run and they probably know what you run just as well as you know it. And so teams can figure that stuff out. It's, I mean, again, circling back to the first play I talked about, maybe Dallas had studied Green Bay to the point where they knew if they had Cobbs on the outside, Adams on the inside, and Nelson split wide that they were going to run that 6-6-9 concept. And so they were content just dropping into a cover two shell and saying, look, make the perfect throw, man. Let's see if you can do it. Now, on that play, Rodgers did it, but it doesn't take away from the fact that I thought, at least you know, my semi-educated opinion, that it was a poor route design. Looking at this team going forward, and this is pretty much all we'll be wrapping up here. Looking at the team going forward, assuming they can continue to do more of what they did on Thursday night and continue to really play around with making things easier for their skill position players, you still think they have the weapons to be able to get it done in the NFC North, correct? The big question is going to be, can they get production on the ground as the calendar turns November and December, especially playing in Green Bay? Even with an additional uh, dome stadium now that Minnesota is playing back indoors now? I mean, you know, that's a, that's an added element that makes it a little bit easier, but you're still going to have games in Green Bay, and I think they make the trip to Chicago. Did they already play Chicago twice? Uh, let me take a quick look here. They make the trip to Chicago 12-18, actually. I'm sorry. Yeah, and I mean, actually, they already played at the Vikings, too, so they're going to have the Vikings at home on 12-24, but then they're at the Lions indoors on uh, January 1st. Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously Lacey missed this week his – Health is a bit of a question mark. I know they signed Niall Davis. I don't know what they're – they couldn't really get him in in time to get him ready for Thursday night, but now they get a little bit of a bye week now. So they'll be able to sort of get him up to speed. Maybe they keep rolling with Ty Montgomery at running back. They still put Randall Cobb back there. I mean the passing game seemed improved. You know, one question mark, was this just to get get him a chance to go up against Chicago? You know, obviously Chicago's having a bit of a down year. And, you know, are they going to – stay with this sort of Ty Montgomery-centered running attack. Those are going to be some question marks going forward. The passing game did show some good signs Thursday night. We'll see how it looks going forward. Outstanding stuff. Are you happy that I didn't ask you if if Aaron Rodgers was getting old? (laughs) Yeah. yeah, And and how I just backed into it right there. You know what? I'm actually happier that you didn't ask if you – I'm happier that you didn't ask if this was related to Olivia Munn. Olivia who? Come on, man. Dude, I don't know who these people are. There, there was actually talk on the timeline about, you know, maybe it's his relationship with Olivia Munn and it's starting to go south. Who's Olivia Munn? She's an actress. You, I'm trying to remember. We'll see. Unfortunately, I like, know the I, best I, right I now. Am, I am the worst when it comes to anything celebrity related. So, like... I didn't even know who's the the woman that Jessica that uh, Jessica Simpson. That's who it was that uh, Tony Romo was going out with back in the day. That I, was a while ago. So I didn't know who. Th- like that's like what I still think of as like a current NFL. So they're not together anymore. Rogers and Olivia Munn. No, uh, Romo and Jessica Simpson. Oh gosh, no. She married some like guy that played tight end for the Saints for like a season okay. out of Yale, actually. Oh uh, Yale. I know. Ugh. 
That that blue is like the worst color. You can't look good in that in no matter what. Why would you do that? Get a good green hue going on. Like at least at least with the Packers, I can understand it because that green looks good on anyone. Anyone can look good in green. That's how I made it. You know, it's like you got to be wearing a color like that. I think we're going to replace Kicker Friday this week with uniforms of the Ivy League. Yeah, that would be about a 30-second show. It wouldn't go particularly well. But What would it be? Would it be Dartmouth good, everyone else bad? Pretty much. Uh, pretty much. And we could oh. also do a similar 30-second segment. Chuck covers the uh, you know the stars where pretty much I'd be able to give you uh, updates from, what was that, like 2005 on Tony Romo's dating life. So there we go. We aim to please, my friend. It's what we do. Uh, this week on tap, I don't know exactly uh, what we're going to have. I know, obviously, we talked a little Stevie Goskowski on Kicker Friday last week. Uh, not sure. Might what have to hit that again. I don't. I don't want to hit that again quite yet. I'm kind of going to let that marinate out there in the uh, the Twitter sphere for a little while now. Maybe we'll. Uh, I know we got some stuff from Marquette King on a little bit of a uh, Marquette King put some moves on, and I got to tell you. He's got a, he's got some wheels. He might he might beat me actually as the uh, the fastest specialist of all time. So we might dig into a little bit of Marquette King action on Friday. Uh, we'll have some other stuff coming along the week. Our plays of the week, obviously. Make sure if you're not already subscribed to the Quick Kicks podcast, get subscribed on iTunes. You want to get us every day. Chuck Zada and Mark Schofield. We'll see you tomorrow.